doing? Doing good? Hey, I want to make uh, the person next to you feel really good, okay? So I want you to turn to him right now. Look him in the eye. Go on, turn to him. Look him in the eye and say, man, your hair is extra poofy today. It's just, oh, it's looking so great. Extra poofy. Hey, we want to welcome all those watching online right now. We're so glad that you're watching. Wish you were here, but glad you're there. And we're going to just welcome you. So everybody put your hands together for all of those watching online. So glad you're with us. So uh, we're in this series called Theophany, and we're just going to jump right into this. So um, we've been asking the question, what happens when God shows up? What happens when God shows up? And we've been looking at times when he showed up as a human, times when he showed up in a burning bush, times when he showed up on a mountain in a cloud. And specifically today, we're going to be looking at a story of when God shows up as a pillar of cloud by day and a fiery cloud by night. Okay, so that's what we're going to be looking at. And the title of today's message is Grumbling and Complaining and Whining, Oh My. Okay, Grumbling and Complaining and Whining, Oh My. And so we're going to look at a story from, um, really to get a context of it, is the end of Exodus. And uh, the Israelites had just come up out of Egypt, so they've been delivered. They've been slaves in Egypt, and God had brought about plagues uh, to the Egyptians, and, and the Egyptians were finally like, okay, please get out of here. And so they're leaving, they, they're going out, and then God appears to them in this cloud. So if you got your Bibles, Exodus chapter 40, we're going to look at it, verses 36 through 38. And if you're ready, say, I am. Okay, here we go, Exodus chapter 40, verse 36. Now, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, being this is the Lord appearing in the cloud, the people of Israel went, would set out on their journey, following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. Verse 38, the cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. Okay, there's another spot in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, uh, in the book of Numbers, where it's a little more descriptive of this cloud that happens by day and fiery cloud by night. And this is what it says in verse 22 of Numbers chapter 9. This is what it says, whether the cloud stayed above the tabernacle for two days, a month, or a year, the people of Israel stayed in the camp and did not move. But as soon as it lifted, they broke camp and moved on. Okay, so, so they come up out of Egypt, and then there's this cloud that they're basically like is their GPS. They're following around. And so by day, it's a cloud, and then at night, it actually had fire inside of it, and so it would glow at night so they could still see it. And so they would stay in one spot until the cloud moved. And if it stayed there for a year, they would stay there for a year. If it stayed there for two days, they'd stay there for two days. But as soon as it lifted and it moved somewhere else, then the whole camp would gather all their stuff, and they would move on to the next spot. Now, if you know the story of the Israelites, as soon as they came up out of Egypt, the cloud led them right into the Bahamas. It was really cool. Led them right into the paradise and a great place. Actually, no, God led them right into the desert. Okay, right into the desert, to the wilderness. And they were there for 40 years. Somebody say, that's a long time. That is, that's a long time. God led them right into the desert. And it's kind of strange because God could have totally led them into somewhere really nice. Could have went ahead and taken them to the promised land, because there was these, this talk of a promised land, 
And I bet the Israelites were just thinking like, hey, what's going on? If you're such a good God, then why are we, why are we going to the desert? Like, why do we got to hang out here? Like, it's dry and it's hot. And, you know, what about all your promises? What about that place you talk about, that place flowing with milk and honey? What about all that, that great things, the great life, all the great blessings? You know, why is it that we've got to go to the desert? God, what's the deal? And it really begs the question is, why did they go wandering around in the desert? Why did they go wandering around in the desert for 40 years? And Moses actually answers this question. He actually answers this question in Deuteronomy. So after the 40 years, right before they go into the promised land, he's reflecting back on the last 40 years and saying, this is why God led you around a desert for 40 years. So we're going to look at it in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. This is what it says. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness or the desert for these 40 years. Now listen to this, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did this to teach you that, you, that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so the cloud basically is God leading the Israelites to a variety of places in the desert to teach them a lesson, to teach them multiple lessons. He's leading them around and saying, before we get to the promised land, there's some work I've got to do. There's some lessons I've got to show you. There's some things I've got to do in your life. I can't take you to that place. There's some stuff I've got to do in your heart. That's why I take you to, took you to the desert. You ever had life teach you some lessons? You ever had that? Raise your hand if you ever had life kind of throw back a lesson at you. Like, here, this, here's what you need to learn. Um, I had uh, several, this was several years ago. We uh, had an old dishwasher, and so it was time to get a new one. And so got a new dishwasher, and uh, everything was going great. After about three months, something was wrong. My wife, Becca, came, came in, and she's like, hey, something's wrong with the dishwasher. And I was trying to figure it out, and I'm, I'm kind of that guy to where I'm like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to call up somebody. I'm going to fix it myself. Like, I'm gonna, any other guys like that, you're like, hey, I'm not going to spend the money. I'm, I'm going to fix it myself. So th that's what I did. I, I Googled it. I interneted it. I YouTubed it. I, I got on there. I was figuring it out. I went to this place here in Lee Something. They had the part that I was needing. I was like, I think this is what's wrong. So I got that part, I got it all pulled out, I flipped it over, and I, I put the piece in, and I, I wired it back, and then I slid it back in, and guess what happened? It worked. No, some of you said it didn't work. <laughs> what? Come on now, come on now. Guys, have you ever experienced this when you just step back and you're like, I'm a man. I, like, I never questioned it really, but like, but like, I'm a man, I made this work. So then, like, it wasn't long later, it broke again, and this time it was the computer, and I was like, oh, my goodness. So we ended up getting another dishwasher, and, uh, and so this time, though, I got a little smarter. I, I said, you know what, I'm going to get the best warranty I can possibly get. So I got the five-year diamond, platinum, gold, whatever warranty with this thing. So if something went wrong, I was like, mm-hmm, I'm going to make sure that they take care of it. Like, I'm not going to let something like this happen again. So everything was going great. Wasn't long later, I come home and Becca said, hey, the dishwasher's not working. I was like, what? Who is not living right? There is sin up in our house. Like, what is going on? Like, why does our dishwasher keep breaking? 
So um, she's like, it won't close. Like, I, if it can't close, then I, and I went over to it, and I tried everything, and I was like, and if you can't close, it won't run. And then I thought, you know, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and fix this. So I got out my tools, and I had my butter knife, and I was like, I was trying, <laughs> I was trying to work on the latch, and, and I was like, man, I can't figure this thing out. Like, it won't close. And then I remembered, I got a warranty. And so I put down my butter knife, and I picked up my phone, and I said, hey, yo, um, I'm pretty sure I got a warranty on my, my deal here. So set up the appointment. The guy comes out uh, to the dishwasher. I'm in the other room because I want to give him his space, give the man his space so he can work. Well, it wasn't like a minute later. He comes around the corner. He's like, um, yeah, so I, I fixed your dishwasher. I was like, what? Wait, how did you fix it so fast? He was like, well, I opened it up, and I looked in the top tray, and um, there was a knife blocking the top tray from closing, so I, I just removed the knife. All right, well, you check everything else. Is, is the oil, is there good oil in it right now? <laughs> so, so life has a way of teaching us lessons, right? You know, to check to make sure there's a knife in the, in the top tray before calling somebody and looking like an idiot. Um, and for the Israelites, they needed to learn a lesson. God needed to work in them before he took them to the promised land. One specific issue that, that they had was complaining. They were whiners. They were grumblers. They were complainers. And uh, God had to work on them. And God had to do something in their hearts before they could enter the promised land. Now, before we get to the actual story, I, I do want to show you something that Moses actually warns why they need to have character built before they go into the promised land. He specifically says, this is what God's got to do in your life before he blesses you with all this great stuff in the promised land. Because as is, it's not going to go well. So later on in that chapter that we just read, Deuteronomy chapter 8, this is what it says. But, uh, but that is the time to be careful. So he just talked about all the blessings that God would give you. And he says, that's the time to be careful. Be, beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have been full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and its scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from a rock. He fed you manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and to test you for your own good. He did all this so that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you the power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Man, God's like, hey, I don't want you to destroy yourself, so I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to take you through the desert. I'm going to teach you a few lessons before I bless you with the promised land. Because God had to change their hearts. God had to work in their lives. He had to help them see and appreciate God's blessing in their life. He didn't want them to become proud and then ultimately turn to themselves and say, we've done this ourselves. Here's something to remember. God won't take you to a promised land that he knows will destroy you. God won't take you to a promised land that he knows. You can, go, you can try to go in yourself. 
You can try to take it yourself, but God is not going to give you a blessing that he knows that you can't handle. You might have heard of this before, but interesting study on those that win the lottery. And there's two different studies. One was 44%. The other one was 70%. But the, it was, so it was about half, you could say. About half, after a few years of winning the lottery, actually go bankrupt. And did you know that those that win the lottery, the, the rate of bankruptcy is actually higher than those that don't win the lottery? Which is interesting. You think, wait, you're getting all this money. You're getting all this blessing. But it actually turns out to be a curse for so many because they don't have the character to sustain it. They let their desires go wild, and now they're not able to handle that blessing. It turns into bankruptcy. And what God does is he leads these people through the wilderness, teaching them lessons along the way because ultimately he wants to bless them. So we're going to look at this story, this specific story about complaining. Okay, so it's in Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. So with all that backdrop there, kind of the context, we're going to jump into this story. I'm going to read the whole, like parts of this whole chapter, not the whole chapter, but I'm going to read all, and then we're going to, uh, we're going to get to our point. So here it is. Numbers chapter 11. This is what it says. Soon the people began to complain about their hardships, and the Lord heard everything they said. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent fire to rage among them. And he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Then the, Lord people screamed, then the people screamed to Moses to help. And when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. After that, the area was known as Terabah, which means the place of burning. Because of the fire, the Lord had been burning among them there. Okay, so the people are complaining, and God's not happy. Like, he's, he's got out his torch, and he's, he's teaching the people a lesson. So he's not happy about all this. So let's continue on. Verse 4. Then the foreign rabble, or this mob, okay, this group of people who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. We had all the cucumbers and lemons and leeks and onions and garlic we wanted, but now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. So now they're complaining. Now they want meat. Now they're like, they're so hungry for, for something else besides the manna. All right, let's go to the next scene. Verse 10, let's jump down to verse 10. Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining, and the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. So the people are standing around, and they're grumbling, they're complaining, they're just standing at their doorways, talking to other families. Now they're, now they're complaining. Okay, let's go. Now what does the Lord do? Skip down to verse 18. And say, so he had called all the elders together, and, and Moses, and said, and he says this to them to then communicate to the people, okay? So God calls the leaders together, says, tell this to the people. This is what he says. And say to the people, purify yourselves for tomorrow. You will have meat to eat. You were whining and the Lord heard you when you cried, oh, for some meat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will have, you'll have it to eat. And, to, and it won't be for just one day or two or five or ten or twenty you will eat it for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it. For you have rejected the Lord who is here among you. And you have whined to him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? 
Okay, this is getting kind of drama-filled here. I feel like we could do a series on this, like, you know, TV series or something. So there, so God's like, okay, you want me? Okay, fine. I'm going to give you a bunch of me. And he does. And we'll just read one verse of it. You could read the rest of it later, but it's in verse 31. It says, now the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall all around the camp. All around the camp. So God sends Sends the meat. So as is our custom here at Summit Park, I'm going to give you all the points up top, and then we're going to unpack them as we go. Okay, so point number one is complaining is a symptom of a larger problem. Complaining is a symptom of a larger problem. Number two, thou shalt not complain like thy neighbor. Okay, thou shalt not complain like thy neighbor. Number three, when tempted to complain, get busy. And number four, complaining says, Lord, you're not enough. Lord, you're not enough. All right, here we go. We're going to jump into it. Turn to your person next to you and say, are you ready? Wow, you said that really enthusiastically. Hey, are you ready? <laughs> okay, all right, take away the pillow from them, all right? So wake them up. Take away the pillow. All right, this first one here, complaining is a, a symptom of a larger problem. Okay, so the Israelites, obviously, they're not happy. They're not excited they don't, they don't like the desert. They don't like the fact that there's not much water. They're not happy about where they are. They're, things are pretty rough for them. And honestly, I kind of have to ask the question, like, eh, why is God so mad? Like, they just want some water. Like, you know, it is a desert. Like, it's not, it's not like the greatest place in the world. And uh, these are like the bare necessities. I mean, did anybody else ever think that? Like, you know, they are whining and complaining, but they're kind of whining and complaining about water. You know, and they're kind of whining and complaining about it's really hot in the desert, that kind of thing. I mean, God, why are you so upset? I don't know if you've ever done that, just to kind of illustrate this. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but how many parents in here? Your parent, raise your hand, your parent. Okay, so when your kids were, you know, uh, old enough to, like, talk, and, um, but not like, you know, they can't drive. You know, in between, you ever go on, like, a, a trip, like a long trip, you know, and they're, they're in the back seat. And what do they do? They, they say, Mom, may I have some water, please? No, they don't do that. No, what, what do they do? They scream. They complain. They say, ah, ah, it's so, I, I need some water. I'm so thirsty. When are we going to stop next? Oh, are we there yet? Ah. Right? Like, that's what they're, they're wondering. Now, now, I want you to identify, there's not so much a problem with the fact that they need water. I mean, you should give them water, okay? That's a good thing to have. And you should give them food, and there should be places to go to the restroom, that, that kind of thing. But it's not so much the what, it's the how, right? It's that if they had asked kindly and nicely, things would probably be different. But you're in the front seat trying to concentrate and drive, and you get kind of sick of the complaining and the whining. It's about legitimate things, but it's how they do it. And that's what it is with the Israelites. Because I believe that if they would have changed their tone a little bit, if they would have said, if they would have prayed nicely to the Lord and said, Lord, we, we are so thankful that you've delivered us from slavery. We are so grateful that every morning you do a miracle and we have these yummy little pastries that show up Lord, we've been able to make soups and all kinds of great things with this. We've, they've been great ingredients in all of our manna um, uh, menu items. And, and we're, we're so thankful for all of that. And uh, we appreciate all of this. And, but we did have one request. We had some requests that, could we please have some meat? Because we would enjoy some variety. And we know that you're able to do it. Because, God, you can do anything. 
And if it's not too much trouble, could you make it some Casey barbecue from Jack Stack? We would greatly appreciate that. So, so if they had prayed like that, things would have been totally different. But what are they doing? They're just whining and complaining, and, and God does not like that. And here's the thing. Remember this. There is a world of difference between not liking your situation and complaining and not liking your situation and praying. There is a world of difference between not liking your situation. I don't like it that I'm thirsty. I don't like it that I'm hungry. I don't like my job situation. I don't like whatever. And just complaining about it and then saying, I don't like this situation, but you know what? I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to involve God in this. There's a world of difference in this. If you think about it, if they had responded differently, though, God probably wouldn't have had to take him through the desert in the first place. This is station. Uh-oh, we don't want last week to happen again. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I'm going to be nice to the mic. So we, you know, um, guys, I lost my train of thought. Where was I? Hold on. Hold on, this, hold on, I was talking about this, and I'm going to look at my notes, and, oh yeah, <laughs> manifestation. So we're in a series called Theophany, and I just have to start at the beginning, I'm so sorry, no. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, this was it, gosh, guys, distracted me, okay, no, um, if they had, if, if they didn't have this issue, they wouldn't be in the desert in the first place. Like, they're in the desert because they need to learn this lesson. And so God was, God was helping them and showing them this. Okay, so let's explore the root of the problem, kind of the, this main point on this one. This is, it's a symptom of a larger problem. And so what was the main problem? You think about the Israelites for a second. You think, you know, was freedom not enough? Remember, they had, they had asked God, like they had cried out to God while they were in Egypt, while they were slaves, like, please deliver us. And God responded to them. So God gave them freedom. God is doing miracles. So was that not enough? Like he was, he was providing manna for them every single day. He was giving water from a rock. He had delivered them from the Egyptian army that had come after them. He had, he had taken them across the Red Sea, parting the Red Sea. My goodness. I mean, tons of miracles are happening. You know, was, was water from the rock not enough? Was the protection from the Egyptians? All of that happened. So why would they complain when they have all of these miracles happening and at the root here's what i believe at the root of complaining it's this attitude that says i deserve more that's the root of complaining i deserve more and here's the here's the problem with that so when we lack humility it's never enough we feel we deserve more and more and more and more but god knew that they would want it just more and more they felt like it was just a bottomless pit so if he takes them to the promised land, let's say they skip because it's an 11-day journey from out of Egypt to the promised land, just 11 days, not 40 years. And so if he had just taken them straight there, it wouldn't have mattered that it was a land flowing with milk and honey and all this blessing. You know what? After a couple of weeks, it had been like, eh, this isn't so great. And yet God had blessed them so much because that's what a lack of humility does. So God knew he needed to develop character in them. He needed to show them. He needed to show them that your attitude is, I deserve more. And I, I don't know about you, but I've fallen into this many times to where I, I just might be complaining about some kind of situation, something going on in my life. And what I'm really saying is I deserve better. I deserve more. Man, I wish they would appreciate me more. Like I, I wish, I, I really, I've earned this. That's what I'm saying when I'm doing that. But you think about what humility 
does. I mean, right now, think about the most humble person you can possibly think of, okay? Think about somebody you know that's very humble. Are they known as a complainer? No, because humility produces this, this attitude that doesn't say, I deserve more. It says, I'm so thankful for what I have. And that's what we have to do. That's what, what God wanted to try to get to the Israelites. They were complaining because they just thought, I deserve more. The, this was the root of complaining. It's the root that says, I deserve more. But God wants to switch that root to say, I'm thankful for what I have. And when you do that, when you change that attitude, I'm just saying watch out because the promised land is not far away. All right, the second point here. Thou shalt not complain like thy neighbor. So the, the Israelites were being influenced, right? So they were, they were being influenced by this group that had come out, out of Egypt with them because there was a group that was like, well... Egypt's not looking very good right now. You know, there's like smoke and fire in the background. Really bad things had happened to Egypt. All the plagues had pretty much devastated it. And they're like, well, these people seem to have a God that really is real and is working in their lives, so let's go with them. So they go with them, but there was, that was a problem because look what it says in verse 4. I'll reread it to you. Then the foreign rabble who was traveling with them, the Israelites, began to crave the good things of Egypt, and the people of Israel also began to complain. So this people, this group was starting to rub off on the Israelites. They heard them complaining, and so now it's influencing them. And I, I just think for us today, obviously that can happen, where the world can influence us. Those around us can influence us negatively oftentimes. And one of the biggest things that, that happens, and we've talked about this before, but obviously social media is, is a huge way it influences us. Now, I'm not, I'm not anti-social media at all. In fact, I think that's a great way to reach people and shine the light of Jesus. But just like in anything, there can be a downside to it. There can be a trap with it. And with social media, that's, that's also true. Sometimes when we consciously or unconsciously, so we know it or we don't know it, but it's still happening, compare our realities to someone else's highlight reel. It leads to discontentment. And discontentment is the breeding ground for complaining. Let me read that to you again. When, when we consciously or unconsciously, we're on social media, we're going through our timeline, we're going through the feed, and we compare our realities to someone else's highlight reel, it leads to discontentment. And discontentment is the breeding ground for complaining. When we do that comparison game, you know, I, I've tried uh, recently to do this to do this thing to where, kind of do the opposite of that. So I've been fascinated by how life was like 200 years ago, like how, how people lived 200 years ago or even uh, before that. And so there's this book called uh, Superabundance that the, these uh, two guys had written about how life was back then compared to now. And they shared some stats in there which are just like mind-blowing. And it talks about how we have exponentially become more prosperous as the population has gone up. It's just been like astronomical, you know, crazy amount. So what I've tried to do is like compare my, like what I have right now, if I ever feel discontent, be like, well, I'm not back in the 1800s when they had this. Listen to some of these stats. They're crazy. All right. So what they did was they compared a blue-collar worker to a blue-collar worker today. So from the 1850, and they actually did the study in 2000, uh, they pulled it from 2008. So just that timeline from 1850 to 2008. And this is what they found, that an hour's worth of work from 2008, you can purchase 99% more rice 
than you could purchase than you could have purchased back in the 1850s. Now, I don't know if you're into rice or not. I love it from Chipotle personally. Um, but there's other commodities like that. So you think about that for a second. Just a basic commodity, okay? We can't compare like iPhones and things like that. Obviously, they didn't have them back then. But we can't compare rice. You can purchase 99% more rice today, and it's compared to wages, okay? So obviously, prices were cheaper back then, but wages were way lower. And there was much, uh, much less supply than there is today. Here's another one. The price of coffee relative to wages in 1850 versus 2008 has dropped. Now, I'm not talking like from Starbucks, okay? I'm talking like grounds, coffee, or whole beans, okay? Has dropped 98%. Man, that's good news for some of you addicts out there. Some of you coffee addicts, like, you'd be glad you live in today, okay? (laughs) All right, so here's another one. For every one pound of sugar in the 1850s, you could purchase today 107 pounds of sugar. That's a lot of cookies. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can purchase so much more today. And even some commodities that weren't quite as impressive, like rice, coffee, uh, nickel, and tea. There was other ones like beef. You can purchase six times the amount of beef today than 1850. Eight times for lamb, nine times for gold, ten times for steel, and 13 times for zinc. For all those that are into zinc, whatever that does, okay? And you think about it, even if you're like, okay, those are cool stats, but um, you just think about it from a, a qualitative standpoint. Where you have, I mean, haven't you guys seen all the storage units popping up? I mean, they're like everywhere. Guys, we have so much stuff. We have so much stuff. We are so blessed. And that shouldn't make us say like, oh, let's get rid of all of our, our stuff. That should make us say, God, thank you. We know that that's not because of our brilliance and because we're so great. We know that's because of your goodness. Thank you for what I have. I'm so thankful for what you have given us. See, the Egyptians were posting all the things that they had back in Egypt. They were putting it on their timeline. They were showing all their stuff. And, and you know what? The, the Israelites started to look at that. Well, I, I kind of wish I had that. I kind of wish I had those things. And what did they start to do? They started to complain. And all it could take is just for us to be thankful for what we have, to be content with where we're at rather than for us to compare ourselves with others and what others have today. Or if you want to compare, just compare your life to the people back 200 years ago that had so much less than what we have today. And it should make us to say, God, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for what you've done. All right, there's this third one here. This third one. When tempted to complain, get busy. When tempted to complain, get busy. All right, Numbers chapter 11, verse 10 says this. Moses heard all the families standing... In the doorways of their tents, whining. And the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. Now, if, if they're just, just picture it for a second. They're standing in the doorway of their homes, and they're just sitting around complaining. You know what they're doing? They're not working. They're bored. You know what, what we have a tendency to do when we're bored? Is complain. It's to whine just like them. You know, maybe you've heard this saying before, you can't rock the boat if you're pulling on the oars. You ever heard that, that saying? Like, if you're not pulling on the oars, you can get in the middle of the boat and you can rock it around. But you know what? If you sat down and started rowing, you can't rock the boat. That's true for us today. And that's what God wants us to do is to focus on work, doing something, getting busy with something. When it's when we're bored, we tend to complain and whine 
And there's a whole lot of psychology behind that whole thing because we don't feel significant. And so because we aren't hitting goals, we aren't accomplishing things. And because of that, what do we do? We, we complain to our circumstances and push those down to make ourselves feel better. But once we get busy with work, now we're accomplishing things. Now we don't, we don't need to do that. I feel good about me, and I don't need to complain. I'm doing what God wants me to do. So when we get busy, God created us for that, to accomplish things. And while that shouldn't be the center of our identity, because that should come from Christ, but it is a part of ourself. It is a part of our self-esteem. This is what Ecclesiastes 5, verse 18 says. Even so, I have noticed one thing, at least, that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during their short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. And it is good is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and to accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they have no time to brood over the past. In other words, it's like God gave us work as a gift so that we don't get, we don't start complaining and whining or attitude goes south. And what are the Israelites doing? Ah, oh, they're just sitting around. They're just sitting around complaining. You know, now I know they were in a desert and they didn't have to work for their food. They had manna up here. You might be thinking, what, what could they do? I had an idea. Like they could have invented a porta potty. You know what I'm saying? Like that could have been amazing. You guys not think that would be cool? Like, you go to a desert where there's no toilets. <laughs> and so, like, if they had, if somebody invented a, a porta potty, man, they would have been so busy. There would have been such a high demand for that. And they put little wheels on it so when the cloud moves, they would just wheel it along with them. Guys, this would be amazing. So, if they had focused on meeting needs, which needs were all around them. And the reality is, for us, needs are all around us, they're everywhere. We have the opportunity to, to help people and bless people and to encourage people. If we just get busy focusing on what's most important, and that's what they needed to do, is to focus on the needs around them. What, what kind of needs are there? I'm sure you got needs in, in your family, needs in your neighborhood, needs here at the church. You know, they, they need help in the kids' area, I'm sure. It was so funny. Last night, um, as we were praying with the kids, Ella was praying. My daughter, she helps out. She's a junior worker in room four, and um, she prayed. She said, Lord, please help the kids to have mercy on us tomorrow. <laughs> it was awesome. So, so please go help them, okay? <laughs> Get busy. Don't whine and complain about the kids' area. Go help. If you don't like something, go help in that area. All right, here's number four. We're going to cover this quickly. Number four, complaining says, Lord, you're not enough. Lord, you're not enough. Numbers, uh, verse 20, the second half, verse 20 says, For you have rejected the Lord. This is what, this is what God had told the leaders to tell the people. For you have rejected the Lord who is here among you, and you have whined to him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? Now, notice what this does to their relationship with God. When they complained, it hurt their relationship with the Lord. It rejected the Lord. So how, how does this work? So think about it um, if you've got kids that maybe, let's say your kids wanted or uh, trying to do something, and they're frustrated, they're complaining, they're whining, and you come over to them and say, hey, I can help you do that. I can, I'll, I'll just do this and this and we'll do it together and, and that, that kind of thing. And, and they say, no, I, I, I'm just frustrated. I just, no. Uh, and they just so caught up in their complaining and their frustration. They almost don't even see you that you're going to help them. What are they doing? They're rejecting you. You ever felt that rejection before? It doesn't feel good. 
And that's what the people were doing to God. Did you know, and I'm, I'm speaking to myself, I'm preaching to myself this morning. Did you know every time we complain, we're rejecting God? Because God can do something about our situation. God can do something about our circumstances. So what God wanted them to do, instead of rejecting him, God wanted them to actually involve him. You see, it wasn't that there was an elimination of problems. He wanted them to learn to be dependent upon him. And what better scenario than a desert? <laughs> There's so many needs in a desert. And what God wanted to teach them was, I want you to be dependent upon me. Just like people don't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, just like you depend upon food, I want you to learn to depend upon me. What if in your life, that situation that you don't like, that you're complaining about, what if God put it there so you could learn to involve him? What if you put it there so you could say, God, I need your help. God, I, I need your, your strength in this situation. I don't know what to do. And you know what? That's what God wants. That's what God wanted from the Israelites, and that's what God wants from us. They needed to learn the lesson. So I want to challenge you with something. I want to challenge you, and I'm going to do this, this as well. In fact, this week, it's funny writing this message. I had to catch myself a few times complaining about things because I was preaching to myself. I want you to try something. For the next 24 hours, don't complain. Just try it. Next 24 hours, that includes when the Bills score a touchdown against the Chiefs today. If hypothetically that were to happen. <laughs> okay, next 24 hours, don't complain. And every time you catch yourself complaining, I want you to pray and thank God. Thank God about something in your life. Thank God that you have a job. Thank God that you have provision. And then begin to pray, God help me in my situation. Help me in my job. Help me, Lord, if you have something else out there for me, then pray about that and give that to the Lord. And then I want you to look back and see how your life feels. How did it feel not complaining? I guarantee you, it's gonna feel like winning the lottery, but you know what? You're not gonna go bankrupt. You don't have, the, you don't have to worry about going down the wrong path. And if you want the quickest way, this is something I felt like the Lord was saying to me this week. The quickest way to become wealthy in this life, you can do it in a day, is to be thankful for what you have immediately, all of a sudden, you're like, wow, look at all the stuff I've got. Look at what I've got. I've got the Lord. I've got my family. I've got provision. I've got a job. I've got all this stuff. And all of a sudden, you realize, man, I'm rich. I have so much. I don't need anything else. I'm good. And you know what? You won't complain, and you'll honor God. Let's take a moment to pray get together. Lord, we just thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your word that's spoken to us today. And God, I just pray that you continue to challenge us to to be people that don't complain, but people that are content and so thankful for your goodness. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us to learn that lesson. And Lord, for some in this place that, are, that have some promised lands ahead of them, God, I pray that you would show them right now you're, you're taking them through a season to work in their hearts, to build character in their lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would, you would encourage them today. Help us to learn the lesson quickly so we can get to the promised land. God, we thank you for all that you're doing. God, we thank you for how you're working. We love you, Lord, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. If we could have the prayer team come forward. And I just want to, I want to encourage you that if you have a need in this place and um, you've got something going on, maybe, it, maybe it's like something you're scared about, maybe something you're afraid about, maybe it's something you have been complaining about, maybe not. 
I mean, you just, you're just going through a challenging time. I want to encourage you to step out in faith and involve the Lord. Let him work in your life. Who knows? And I guarantee you, actually, I don't know. Who knows? I actually know that God has allowed a situation or caused a situation in your life so that you could learn to be dependent upon him so your faith can grow and he can take you to the next level. He can take you to the promised land. So I want to encourage you here in a moment just to come forward. The rest of us, let's focus on Jesus. Let's take some time. Let's worship together. No wonder we call you Savior. No wonder we sing your praise. Jesus, our hope forever. You made a way. You made a way. No Our service is ended, but let's not let church end here. Church does not stop right here between these walls. Let's leave here and be a light to someone else and help someone else find and follow Jesus. So as you leave here, don't forget the invite card that's right there in front of you. Let's be a blessing to someone else. Let's invite them here and let's introduce them to the wonderful God that we serve. So as you leave this place, leave knowing that you're loved. Leave knowing that you are enough. We love you and we hope to see you again.
But he could 